So we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and, and man, the last few chapters, chapters uh, 3 and 4 and 5, we've really learned a lot uh, about the church. We've learned a lot about Christ followers. And, and so I guess if I could sum it up with one statement, uh, it's right there on your handout. So far in 2 Corinthians, Paul has said that we are jars of clay, and as jars of clay, we contain a very valuable treasure, but he also says that we are Christ's ambassadors and we've been given an incredible ministry. Now, if you'll remember, we talked about this last week, that ministry is one of reconciliation. God is making his appeal to others through us to be reconciled with him. And God's made the way of reconciliation. And the way of reconciliation is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ lived perfectly, He died sacrificially, and He rose from the grave victoriously so that you and I could be right with God. And that happens through repentance of our sin and faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, in context, if you're wondering why Paul is making these statements and they're so passionate, they're so heartfelt, it's because in context, Paul um, was being attacked by false teachers. He was being attacked by false teachers as someone who could not be trusted. So someone had come in to the church at Corinth and said, why are you listening to that guy? Uh, That guy said he was going to come see you, and he didn't. That guy's not keeping promises that he made to you. And so he's being attacked by these false teachers, but really more so than, than Paul being attacked personally, these false teachers claimed that the message of Paul and the ministry of Paul could not be trusted. And I'm going to be honest with you, when you read both 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, Paul wasn't nearly as worried about himself being attacked as he was worried about people attacking the gospel and the message that he was delivering from God. Um, Paul, Paul, he, he wasn't defending himself, he was defending the gospel. That's what he was doing. And so that's what we see in this passage of Scripture tonight. His focus was not on me, like himself, his focus was on the gospel. And he wanted to make sure that the church at Corinth and all believers trusted the gospel and understood the gospel completely because it was the gospel that set the captives free. And so that was Paul's focus. So tonight in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul reminds believers that he and his companions are servants of God. And as servants of God, they have faced many kinds of suffering in gospel ministry. So think about what Paul has said in the last three chapters. He said, we are jars of clay and we contain a valuable treasure. And that valuable treasure is the message of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. He says, we are Christ's ambassadors and we have been given an incredible ministry. That ministry is one of reconciliation. And now he says that he and his companions are servants of God. And he wants the people to know that, hey, we're in this together, right? We are servants of God. You are co-servants with us of God. But he tells them, because of our service to God, because we're servants of God, we have faced many kinds of suffering. And he's going to list some of those sufferings here in just a moment. Um, I love what James says. You know what James says in his letter, James chapter 1, verse 2. James says that we are to consider it pure joy 
whenever we face trials of many kinds because the testing of our faith produces perseverance. And I'm going to tell you, when I think about the word perseverance in the Bible, I think about Paul. Because Paul persevered, didn't he? How many times was he arrested? How many times was he beaten? How many times, right, did he make up his mind that he was going to do this and God said, no, you're not going to do that. You're going to do this, right? Paul persevered in gospel ministry. And, and because of that, his faith, right, his faith flourished. His faith was incredible. Uh, Paul considered his suffering in gospel ministry with joy. And we can see that tonight. I, I love what Dr. David Jeremiah says before we dig in. This is what Dr. David Jeremiah says about suffering. He says, suffering is typically perceived as negative. Perhaps it's even perceived as punishment from God. But Paul saw it differently. Paul saw it as the seal of God's approval. Think about that. Paul, the way he speaks to the churches, when he speaks of the sufferings he faced, he speaks of it as, hey, I suffered because I was doing gospel ministry, right? That was the seal of God's approval on his life that, hey, he's doing what he's supposed to do. How many times have you heard someone say, if the devil ain't attacking you, then he's satisfied with where you're at? Yeah, if, if the devil ain't attacking you, if he's not coming after you, right, then maybe he's just satisfied with where you're at, right? I'm going to tell you, Marty and I always, we, we kind of talk and she'll say, well, what are you preaching on next? And I'll tell her and she's like, oh, man. She's like, you better get ready, because if you preach that, you know what's going to happen. And I'm like, yeah, Satan's going to come after us. <laughs> but I'm going to preach it, because God says preach it. So um, Paul saw these sufferings in gospel ministry. He viewed it through the lens of joy. He knew he was doing what God called him to do, and, and he endured the suffering. He persevered, and his faith flourished because of it. So as Paul is talking to these believers, Paul wants them to know their position in Christ. He wants them to know their purpose in Christ and their purpose in kingdom ministry. But he also wanted them to know his heart. He wanted them to know why he said what he did and why he lived the way he did. His purpose was to point people to Christ. You remember, Paul loves to say this, I preach Christ and I preach Christ crucified. He says that all the time. And that's what he wants. He wants everybody to see Christ and to look at Christ. So as we dig in, uh, we're going to break this up into three passages. And uh, I'm going to start off, I don't want to say light, because this is pretty heavy. uh, But I'm going to start off with the first two verses, okay? So 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 says, As God's co-workers... We urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Uh, What an awesome way to open up chapter 6. Two incredible verses. So he's telling the believers something very important. First of all, believers do not work for God's grace. Believers work from God's grace. 
And, and Paul has really been preaching that message from the very beginning. I mean, if you go back and look at it in 1 Corinthians, right? He was trying to get them to understand, hey, listen, the law doesn't save you. Jesus Christ saves you. And so if you're working for salvation, it'll never happen. You have to surrender in order to receive salvation. It's God through Jesus Christ. And he's making that same plea right here uh, when he says, hey, you know, if you're working for God's grace, then you're receiving it in vain. It's not going to be effective. It's not going to do what it is supposed to do. So we don't work for God's grace. We work from God's grace. Listen, I'm, I'm able to preach the gospel from God's grace, not for it. I don't walk out saying, okay, God, fill me up now since I did what I was supposed to do. No, no, I'm doing what I do because of God's grace. I, I'm preaching the gospel from God's grace, not for it. And anything you do, whether it's serving in the kitchen, whether it's praying over somebody at a retreat, that, that's, that's not earning you more of grace, right? That, that's grace in you being effective. So you're not working for God's grace. You're working from God's grace. Now think about this. False teachers, right, teaching that false doctrine, they were teaching a works-based faith. Even the Judaizers, people ask about the Judaizers all the time. So the Judaizers, was a, they were a particular group who said, oh, this Jesus, oh yeah, he's a good guy. He's a great prophet. So yeah, listen to Jesus, but... I, I always like to explain it like this. Judaizers were Jesus plus this equals salvation. It sounded kind of good, but here's the thing. It's wrong. It ain't Jesus plus nothing. It's Jesus, period. Exclamation point, right? It, it ain't Jesus plus this or Jesus but. No, it's Jesus. And so these false teachers, they were teaching this works-based salvation and, and this would be a, what I guess you could call it a self-effort system, right? A self-effort system, relying on self rather than relying on God. And that's why Paul said, if you're doing that, then God's grace, right, to you, it, it's in vain. It, it, it's not being effective because it's not really grace, it's works. And so Paul says, don't do that. Don't receive God's grace in vain. Receive God's grace and work from it not for it. So that's what Paul is saying, first of all, to the believers. But then Paul is also talking about the exercise of faith, right? So believers exercise their faith in light of God's grace and in light of the salvation that God provides. So, so our faith, you and I, when we walk by faith, when we live by faith, what we're doing is we're exercising Right? We're exercising God's grace in our life. We're exercising the salvation that God has given us through Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is all about. Paul is all about living out the Word of God, living out your salvation, right? Living out loud the gospel of Jesus Christ. So these first two verses set the tone. I mean, this sets the tone for the entire letter, uh, really. Uh, but especially this chapter, okay? So this next passage is a little lengthy. Uh, we're going to read verses 3 through 13. So hang in there, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to crunch on it verse by verse, okay? So let's read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 3. Paul says this, 
We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Do you see that? He's not worried about who? Himself. He's worried about what? The ministry of the gospel. So he says, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. And here's, here's how he, it, it almost comes across arrogant there. We commend ourselves, but it's not. Look at how we commend ourselves in great endurance, in troubles, in hardship and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger. And then he says, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness in the Holy Spirit and in the power of God, or, uh, in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything. Wow, that's a lot of paradoxes there, isn't it? I'm going to explain that in just a minute. Verse 11, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. I love that statement. We have opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children. Remember, we've already said this, Paul considered them as his spiritual children. He, he was like a spiritual father to them. So he says, as a fair exchange, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts also. So a, a lot to digest there, so we're going to kind of move through it slowly. First of all, and I've already said this, but I want to make it clear, Paul was not defending himself. He was not defending himself. He was defending the ministry that God gave him. Paul said, hey, I don't want the ministry to be discredited. He had his eyes on Jesus. He had his eyes on the gospel message. He had his eyes on the ministry of reconciliation. He was not looking at himself. He was not puffed up with pride and arrogance. He was pointing them to Jesus. He did not want the ministry of the gospel, and here's the word that he used, he didn't want the ministry of the gospel to be discredited. And that's what the false teachers wanted. The false teachers wanted the church at Corinth to believe that Paul was not being truthful. That Paul was not being honest. And so they, they attacked the gospel message. And Paul understood that the gospel ministry was more than just speaking the truth out loud. It was living the truth out loud. So Paul, he, he understood, hey, this is more than just words. This is a lifestyle. So Paul did want them to see the gospel message, but he wanted them to see him 
living the gospel message out loud. So yes, he was saying, look at the ministry and how I have operated within the ministry and how my companions have operated in the ministry. But again, he's not making it about him. He's making it about the ministry and how he has operated, how he has exercised grace and salvation in the ministry. And so Paul's motivation, let's go there. Paul's motivation was to be a successful servant of God in gospel ministry. Let me ask you a question. And Paul has already answered this, so you probably know the answer. Was Paul trying to please man or trying to please God? Yeah. he's, He's already said that more than once. Paul wasn't trying to please man. Paul was trying to please God. And Paul wanted to be a successful servant of God. That's what he wanted. And in order to be a successful servant of God, I'll tell you, it takes humility, it takes complete surrender, and it takes Jesus Christ. (laughs) If you're not humble and you're not completely surrendered, and you don't have Jesus Christ, guess what? Good luck with success in gospel ministry because it ain't going to happen. You've got to be humble. You've got to be completely surrendered, and you must rely on Jesus Christ. You must embrace and exercise God's grace to you and for you, and God's grace to you and for you comes through Jesus Christ. His perfect life, His sacrificial death, and His victorious resurrection. And Paul knew that. Um, Paul's, I love this. This is not my words. Uh, I love Richard Pratt Jr., his commentary uh, on the books uh, or the letters of 1 and 2 Corinthians. Listen to what Richard Pratt says. He says, Paul's life was an open book. He and his companions spoke as the servants of God and their successes were their services to God and His people. They did not commend themselves self-confidently or arrogantly, yet they could categorically commend their actions in every way. So in that passage when Paul says we commend ourselves, they weren't commending themselves, they were commending the actions that they displayed in gospel ministry. And... Paul was faithful in gospel ministry. So let's talk about that, okay? So first of all, when we look at that list, so when you start in verse 6 and you move your way down, Paul listed sufferings that he faced in gospel ministry. So that's the first list we see. We see the sufferings that Paul faced in gospel ministry. Then it's followed by qualities You could even say characteristics. I I called them qualities. But they were qualities he needed in gospel ministry for the Lord and to his people. So let's think about it, okay? What were the sufferings? You can look at them. They're right there in your Bible, but I'll tell you. He was beaten. He was imprisoned. He faced riots. uh, Hard work. Woo! Look out. You mean to tell me... If I come to church and sign up to be on a ministry team, i got to work? Somebody didn't read the, the... The nominating team didn't describe that to me. I said yes 
But I didn't know I was going to have to work. Oh, yeah. Hard work. Look at this. Sleepless nights. Hey, men. Did y'all get much sleep this weekend? <laughs> I already see Wade back there going, nope, nope, nope. Hunger. I'm going to tell you, if somebody says, join me in gospel ministry, it's going to be the funnest thing you've ever done, you need to pray about that. You need to pray about that because I'm going to just tell you something. It ain't always fun. It ain't always fun. Listen to me. Is is there joy in it? Oh, absolutely. But is it, quote, unquote, fun? Are you going to always be happy? I'm just going to tell you. You ain't reading the same Bible I'm reading if that's the case. Because what I read in the Scriptures, especially when you look at Paul, the gospel ministry is hard. It is hard. It, there is suffering. Um, sometimes you're going to have to be away from your family when you don't want to be away from your family. Sometimes you're going to have to take a step and you're not going to be able to see if there's something underneath your foot to catch you when you bear down. It, it, it's not going to be easy. It's not always going to be fun. It's not always going to be laughter and celebration. Sometimes, as Paul would say many times, it's the opposite. Gospel ministry is hard. But as you can see, Paul says it's worth it, right? He viewed these sufferings through the lens of joy. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I believe this is your seal of approval on my life. I'm suffering because... I'm serving. So Paul goes on and he lists these qualities. Look at these qualities. Purity, understanding, patience. Wait a minute, Brother Jeff. You're telling me I have to be patient? I'm, I, look, I can't sit up here and lie because Marty's in the room. My mama's in the room. A lot of you are in the room. I am not a patient man, okay? I'm working on it, Right? God takes the imperfect people and does perfect things. Uh, Patience, right? Oof. So purity, understanding, patience, kindness. And I think he just sums it up there at the end with the best two. The Holy Spirit and love. Paul recognized, I can't be who God called me to be. I can't be a jar of clay with a valuable treasure. I can't be an ambassador with a ministry of reconciliation, I can't be a servant of God unless, unless I possess these qualities. And I'm going to tell you, the only way to possess these qualities is for the Spirit of God to be in you and the Spirit of God to be flowing through you. And it's all bound up with love, God's love. So Paul lists these sufferings. He lists these qualities And so again, he's not commending himself or his companions. He's commending the actions that they have taken in gospel ministry, serving God by serving people. So Paul goes on and he says, my words are truthful, right? He says, our words were truthful and our words were righteous. Why? Because they were delivered through the power of God. So Paul said, hey, everything we've said to you was the truth. Everything we presented to you was the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we can say that because it was God through us. Everything we said to you, church, was the power of God in us. 
And so Paul is pointing to the truth of the gospel, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he said, hey, that's not me. That's Christ in me. That's the power of God. And again, I love this, Dr. David Jeremiah. I love what he says. He says Paul lists how he conducted himself in the midst of all of these trials. Listen to this. Weapons of righteousness in the right hand are offensive. Those in the left are defensive. And this is what he says. Christians can prepare for any battle in life by living virtuously and arming themselves with truthful speech found in the Word of God. So if you want to know how to fight your battles in this world, (laughs) it's right here. It's right here. Maybe that's why Paul told the church at Coloss, chapter 3, verse 16, let the Word of Christ do what? Dwell in you. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Some versions say, let the message of Christ dwell in you richly. Why do you think Paul says that? I'll tell you why Paul says it. Because he knows you're going to need it. Right? You're going to need it. You're going to need to use it in life. You're going to face hardships. You're going to face sufferings. You're going to face difficult times. You're going to to face some hard work. And you better have the Word of God in you so that you can Face those battles, right? Speak truth, right? You tell the giants who the boss is. Yes. That's right. That's, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And remember what Dr. David Jeremiah said. Dr. David Jeremiah said, it's when those cracks and those crevices are formed that the Word of God, right, that valuable treasure, can shine. Isn't that cool, right? I love that. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. So think about that, right? The power of the Word of God inside of us, that's how we fight those battles that we face, those hardships and those suffering. That's how we persevere. That's how we keep going. Anybody in here ever wanted to quit before? Okay, yeah. I'll take it a step further. Anybody in here ever wanted to quit in gospel ministry before? If we're truthful, probably some of us have wanted to step down from this team or that team or this team or that team or this service or that service because we were frustrated or we were tired, right? I'm just telling you, it's hard. And when it's hard, you better have that valuable treasure, right? You better have that valuable treasure that can open up your eyes and open up your mind and open wide your heart to keep moving forward, to keep moving forward for the kingdom. Mm. So let me put it in Jeff's language, okay? Make it real simple here. What Paul was saying was that he experienced the ups and downs. (laughs) He experienced the ups and downs in gospel ministry, but God. There's those two words that always come up. But God was good through it all. He experienced the mountains and the valleys. I'm going to tell you, if roller coasters existed back in that day, Paul rode them all, okay? He was the chief roller coaster rider of gospel ministry. He faced every up and every down. 
uh, biblical scholars tell us, so we talked about those paradoxes, right? When you look at those paradoxes, those statements that he made, uh, I have been known and unknown, right? Um, just look at those paradoxes. It's kind of weird. You're going, wait a minute. How, how could he be poor but rich? Uh, it's all about perspective. It's all about your focus, right? So biblical scholars, they call this the paradox of gospel ministry. And so when you think about it, at times, Paul's ministry, uh, he was honored by the people. But at other times, he was despised by the people. At times, there were good reports about the ministry that Paul and his companions were doing. And at other times, there were bad reports. At times, he was regarded by people he said genuine, right? And then at other times, they called him an imposter. That's what was happening right here. That's what was happening when he was writing this letter. The false teachers in the church at Corinth, they were calling Paul an imposter. They said he is not truthful. He is not honest. He told you he was coming and he didn't. That means the message that he preached is not real. It's not right. They, they were calling him an imposter. He faced death, yet he lived. He endured sorrows, yet he what? Rejoiced. That, that doesn't make sense to our minds, right? How can we be in sorrow, yet rejoice? I'll tell you how. Humbled, surrendered, and Jesus. That's about the third time I've said that tonight, right? Pretty important. Humbled, surrendered, and Jesus. That's why Paul, that's why Paul persevered. He was humble, right? He was completely surrendered, and he had Jesus. Maybe, just maybe, that's why Paul said this in Romans 8, 28. And we know, whew, somebody said, whoa, I heard that. And we know that in all things, how many things? All things, what? The good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purposes. Let me tell you, Paul was called according to God's purposes, and he loved God, and because he loved God, God worked all things good in his life. Oh yeah, you remember when he was in prison? You remember when they started praising God in the prison? Tell me what happened. Oh, the walls started shaking. What happened to them prison doors? They flung wide open. The prisoner comes in. I mean, the guard comes in. And what's he fixing to do? He's fixing to kill himself. Because what did he think? Oh, they all got out. Now, I'm going to be the one to blame. But guess where they were? They were still in the prison praising God and singing. Right? God works all things for good for those who love Him and have been called according to His purposes. Oh, that's so good. So Paul says, I have opened my heart wide. Don't you love that? Paul opened wide his heart to the believers. And what does he ask in return? Open your hearts up. Open your hearts wide to us. Paul didn't hold back. He didn't withhold anything from the Corinthians including his affection, right? He affectionately loved them. He respected them. I would even go so far to say as he adored them. I mean, he was pouring out his heart to them. 
And all he wanted in return was for them to simply open their hearts wide, not just to him, but open their hearts wide to the gospel. Open their hearts wide to the gospel. That's what he wanted. And boy, does he finish this passage. I love these verses. Look at what he says beginning in verse 14 because the boy starts quoting Scripture. And you know you ain't going to mess up when you start quoting Scripture, at least if you keep it in context. Look at what he says in verse 14. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Why do you think he's saying that right now? Because the false teachers whom they are listening to are not true believers. Right? They are wolves in what? Sheep's clothing. So they might look the same, but they are definitely not acting the same, and they ain't moving in the same direction. So look at what he says, because that word yoked is important. They would have known what that word meant, and they would have immediately thought about some animals. And I'm going to get there in just a second. So verse 14, he says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? And don't you love this? For we are the temple of the living God. I love that. As God has said, and now he's quoting scriptures, I will live with them and will walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them And be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. This is such an important passage of Scripture. And please, please, let's keep this in context, okay? Think about what Paul has already said, chapter alone, but in this letter alone, and let's think about it as we move forward. So first of all, Paul's exhortation to the believers was to avoid being yoked. That's an important word. Avoid being yoked together with unbelievers. So what was Paul doing? Paul was using an illustration. When they heard that word yoked, they immediately thought of oxen. They thought of animals in the field. So Paul was using an illustration of oxen of different sizes being paired together. Do you know what happens when you put a big ox and a little ox together? You yoke them. You put a yoke on them. The big ox overpowers the little ox, and guess what happens? They go in circles. That's all they do. Because the little ox can never catch up to the big ox. I'm, I'm a little ox. Some of you guys with long legs, man, I envy you, right? Especially when I'm out there running. Some of them guys that pass me by on the road, they got them long legs, and I'm going, man, I wish I could do that, right? If you put us together, if you yoked us together, there's no way these little legs can do what them long legs is doing, 
Right? So they would have understood this visually. But Paul was wanting to understand this spiritually. That's why he said, open wide your hearts. Because what I'm about to tell you matters. Are you seeing this? Do you understand why he said, I have opened my heart wide to you. Now I'm asking you, please open your heart wide to me so that you can receive what I'm about to tell you. This was a hard message for them not to understand. He made it very easy to understand. It was a hard message for them to embrace. So Paul says, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. You will actually be counterproductive. In other words, you will do more damage than you will good when it comes to gospel ministry. This matters. So this was an exhortation to not exercise partnership with unbelievers. That's why I said context is important. We're not talking about living life out there and interacting with unbelievers. We're talking about partnership. Paul says you cannot be in partnership with unbelievers. Dr. Tony Evans says it. Listen to this. He says this idea comes from Deuteronomy 22.10 in which the Israelites were commanded to not have an ox yoked with a donkey. Yeah. Do you see that? Now we're not just talking about a big ox and a little ox. Now we're talking about two what? Totally different animals. So now, so now Paul's really, right? Now he's really getting the oomph in the message. So... Dr. Tony Evans says the idea comes from Deuteronomy 22.10 in which the Israelites were commanded not to have an an ox and a donkey plowing together. What is true among animals is also true among humans. Close relationships or partnerships between believers and unbelievers can result in an unholy union. These false teachers were inside the church of Corinth and the believers were allowing them to have a platform for their message. You see that? By the believers allowing these false teachers to keep saying what they said, they were giving them the stage. Giving them the stage to promote their false doctrine. Which means unbelievers who might have been curious They're learning a false doctrine. Young believers who need to learn the truth of God's message are actually now learning a false doctrine. Do you see why this is serious? That's how we are where we are today? I agree. So, this is an incredible uh, truth. And again, it's not hard to understand, but sometimes it's hard to embrace, right? Right? It, it, it. Let me tell it to you this way, and it's on your handout. Paul was not exhorting the believers to avoid all contact with unbelievers. He wasn't saying avoid unbelievers. That's not what he was saying. He was exhorting them not to team with them. That's a big difference, right? So we need to have relationships with unbelievers, or else, how are they going to hear the gospel? How, how are they going to see 
the effectiveness of God's grace if they don't see it in you and they don't see it in me. So Paul's not saying, hey, avoid unbelievers. What he's saying, and again, that's why I said let's keep this in context, what he's saying is you can't be in partnership with them. Right? You can't team up with them and say, oh, we're going to do gospel ministry together because they ain't got the gospel. They need the gospel. They don't have it. They need it. Okay? And so we cannot exercise, I love this, and again, this is uh, Richard Pratt in his commentary, we cannot exercise continuous and unrepentant sin and be effective with the gospel for the kingdom. We will either be aligned to the king of kings and the kingdom of God, or we will be aligned with the prince of this world but not both. Think about that for a minute. How hard is it to ride a fence? Anybody ever, anybody ever tried to do that before? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I say. You're going to split your pants. Yeah. You're going to get cut. You're going to get hurt, right? That, that, that's the thing, right? So when unbelievers and believers think that they can team up and do something for the kingdom of God, that just don't work. No, believers team up and believers partner and they reach the lost. They reach the unbelievers, right, with the gospel. And the Holy Spirit stirs and convicts and those unbelievers repent of their sin and they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and now guess what? Now they can understand what it means to exercise God's grace. Now they can understand what it means to work from God's grace instead of for God's grace. And that's, that, that's really the heart of this message. And then Paul, oh, this statement. This is, we always use this, but Paul says as believers, we are temples of the living God. Think about that for just a second. You remember what I said this morning? I said we were created by God for God. You remember that? We were created by God for God. This might blow your mind. This might be hard for you to understand, but you weren't created for your spouse. And your spouse wasn't created for you. Now, God may have put you together, but make no mistake about it, Scripture says that we were created by God for God. Our purpose is not to glorify a spouse or a child. And that's the message for parents today, isn't it? We want to lift our children up and glorify them and make much about them, don't we? We need to be careful because that's idolatry. And that's a slippery slope. We need to be careful. And I'm talking to me because I've been guilty. But we weren't created to glorify anybody else but God. That's it. Now God puts us together, right? Sometimes in a marriage union. Sometimes in a gospel ministry Union, a church union. But make no mistake about it. I wasn't created for you and you wasn't created for me. We were created by God for God. And our purpose is the same. This is something we do have in common. Every one of us have the same purpose in this room. I'll tell you this. Every believer and unbeliever has the same purpose. And that's to glorify God. It's just that the believer understands and 
attempts to do it, and the unbelievers still don't, they ain't got it yet. And that's why we pray. That's why we pray for the Spirit of God to help them get it, right? Because I'm going to tell you, there ain't no better way to live than to know who you are and why you are. Ain't no, ain't, look, that's where freedom comes. Freedom comes when you know who you are, whose you are, and why you are. Because can't nobody say nothing different. That's freedom right there. When you don't have to live to please this person or that person because all you're living for is please God. That's, that's freedom. That's true freedom. And I think we probably all need a dose of that. I know I do. So Paul says we are temples of the living God. Do you know how many times he's already said it twice in 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He's already said it. God's Spirit lives in us. He also says in Romans chapter 8 verse 9, God's Spirit lives in us. Jesus, right? Think about what Jesus says. Jesus tells us in John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17, that the Spirit of truth, the Advocate, lives with us and will be in us. Yeah, that's Jesus. Paul, I love this because he quotes Scripture. Now, I didn't write them all down, but I'll tell you some of them. He quoted Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 27. He quoted Isaiah chapter 52, verse 11, and he also quoted 2 Samuel, chapter 7, verses 8 and 14. That, that's, the, that's, the, that's those quotes that he made right there at the end of this passage. Paul makes these quotes because he wants us to know who we are. He wants us to know that we are temples of the living God. God lives in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are changed. We, listen, when we surrender completely, when we are humbled and Jesus is in us and we are in Jesus, we're set apart. We're set apart. We're called to be different. We, we are called to be jars of clay. We are called to be Christ's ambassadors. We are called to be servants of God. And Paul makes a very powerful statement here. We are called to be and we are if we're Christians, temples of God. What, what a powerful passage of Scripture, right? I mean, think about, think about all that Paul is saying. I know I went fast and uh, probably didn't do it justice as far as how much truth is in there. But, but I, I just want to leave you with two statements. Number one, we need to know. Notice I didn't say we need to feel. <laughs> we need to know who we are, and why we are. Now, I want you to write another passage down because I didn't put this on your handout. But if you ever doubt, right, who you are and why you are, go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. The men know this from the retreat. We are so that, people. So that, S-O-T-H-A-T. I'm a so that man. I am God's special possession. I am his royal priesthood. I am his child so that I can declare his praises because he called me out of darkness and into light. Right? I'm not just his special possession. I'm his special possession so that I may declare his praises because he called me out of darkness into his wonderful light. 
I, you can know who you are, and you can know why you are. All you got to do is look at the Scriptures. And I just gave you one passage. You can find a whole lot more where it will tell you who you are and why you are. So we need to know who we are and why we are. And secondly, we need to live the gospel out loud. Right? Listen, we can do these devotions. Barbara came in tonight and she showed me a, showed me a book she went and bought. You got it with you, Barbara? Oh, yeah. She went and got Paul David Tripp's uh, New Morning Mercies. That's the devotional that I quote a lot. I'm reading it now for the third straight year. <laughs> I hadn't bought another devotional in two years because I'm just, that one is so good. And I'll tell you why it's so good, because he points you to Scripture. Like, go read this, go read this, go read this. It's so good. But, but I'm going to tell you, if you want to live the gospel out loud, you've got to move from reading it to doing it. You can go by all the Bible studies and all the devotionals you want. You can read them, read them, read them, read them, read them. But if you don't get out there and do what it says, what's the point? What's the point? What's the point in reading the Bible all the way through and saying, oh yeah, guys, I read the Bible all the way through this year. That's my seventh time. So what? How many people have you reached with that gospel? How many people have you served? How many feet have you washed with that gospel that you read? See, Paul's not going to be satisfied with you quoting some scriptures. Paul wants you to live them scriptures out loud. And listen, I would say this. Paul had a right to say it. You want to know why he had a right to say it? Because he did it. He lived it out loud. He lived it out loud. Paul said, I ain't holding back, church. I'm opening my heart wide to you. Won't you do the same? That was his invitation. Won't you do the same? And then one more truth I want to give you tonight. What is in us will come out of us. What is in us will come out of us. You know what happens when hardships and sufferings come? As a matter of fact, in the old Hebrew language, when the word suffering was mentioned, there was a Hebrew word that was usually attached to it. It was called press. Press. You know what happens when something gets pressed? Yeah, stuff comes out. I love going by Cookie Company in the mall. I, let me rephrase that. I hate going by Cookie Company in the mall. Because I don't need that at all. But it smells so good. But one of my favorite things, right? It's not just when they bring the cookies out. It's when they bring the icing out and they make two cookies into what is called a double doozy. I'm just going to tell you, if you ain't had one, go get it. Sorry, Mike. Mike said don't do that. I'm just telling you. You know what's awesome? I love when I'm eating a double doozy. There's no way to stop it. I've tried. Listen, I've tried a bunch of times and I'm probably going to try tomorrow. Because I won't be able to forget it now. But what I try to do is I try to hold that double doozy and I try to bite in and get the same amount of icing on this piece. That on, 
But you know what happens is every time I bite into it, the icing keeps sliding out and I find my hand just covered with icing. And then I have to do this. So let me tell you again, whatever is in you is going to come out. And that is why Paul said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Because when you get pressed in this life, if the word of God is in you, the word of God will come out. Now that ain't Brother Jeff. Let me tell you who that is. That's God. Solomon says this in Proverbs 4.23. Above all else... Guard your heart because everything you do flows from it, comes out of it. And if that's not enough, let me tell you what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. If you can't be kind to people, it's because you have no kindness in your heart. If you can't encourage people, if all you can do is discourage people, I'm sorry to tell you, but that's all that's in your heart. If you can't love people, if all you can do is talk down to people and point your finger at people, that's because that's what's in your heart. I, I want to say I'm sorry, but I'm not. I'm just telling you the truth. And what's sad is I'm telling Jeff the truth too. Like, yeah, Jeff, the way you talk to people. Yeah, Jeff, the way you look at people. If you can't be loving and you can't be grace and you can't be mercy, it's because you're full of the opposite. 